Well, today we're going to talk about the resurrection, Jesus's resurrection. And the way we define the resurrection is a dead person becoming alive again, but with a perfectly renewed physical body that will never again weaken or become old or die. So it's not just that they rose from the dead, but that Jesus was given a different body. That's part of the meaning of his resurrection. That's part of the meaning of his resurrection. So Jesus's work on earth didn't end obviously with his life and death. If it ended there, our faith would actually be futile. So Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven so that he could be the victorious conquering king. And that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to really focus on what's the significance of the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, why we're both essential. So let me pray and then we'll dive in. Jesus, we thank you that you not only were willing to come and grow up here on earth, experience persecution here on earth, die for us, but you raised yourself from the dead. You rose from the dead. You showed your disciples a glorified body. You revealed yourself to over 500 people after your resurrection. And then your disciples physically saw you go up into heaven. Thank you that we get to explore this more deeply today to increase our faith and the uniqueness of our faith as Christians. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's first talk about what are the details of the resurrection. It's found in all four Gospels, which means it's very important. It's found in Matthew 28, 1 through 20. It's found in Mark 16, 1 through 8. It's found in Luke 24, 1 through 53. And then it's found in John 21 through chapter 21, verse 25. Now, the book of Acts is a story of the apostles' proclamation of the resurrection of Christ and that he's alive and reigning in heaven. I mean, that was really their gospel message. The very first gospel message was not repent for the forgiveness of sins, which we hear later on, but it was, he is risen. Do you believe he is risen? Our Messiah has risen. Like that was the good news that the apostles were sharing with the people around them. And then he was on earth for 40 days that he was alive and available for people to see before he ascended into heaven. The New Testament depends entirely on the assumption that Jesus is still currently living and reigning as Savior, who is the head of the church, the body of Christ. He is to be trusted and worshiped because we know he is alive today. One day, he will return in power and glory to reign as king over the earth. So the book of Revelation shows the risen king right now is reigning in heaven, and he predicts his return to conquer his enemies and then reign in glory on earth. It's appropriate to believe in the resurrection of Christ based on just the New Testament teachings. They show it over and over and over again. How can we respectfully use Jesus's resurrection to share with people of other religions the uniqueness of our religion? I don't kind of like using that word religion, but what makes Christianity different than other faiths because of the resurrection? Why do you think the resurrection is so special and unique? So a lot of the other religions talk about what you have to do to earn your salvation. And Christianity says, no, it's what Jesus has done so we can receive salvation. So he's the only one of all the different faiths 
that after he died actually rose from the dead. Nobody else's quote-unquote savior or person they worship or highly admire ever rose themselves from the dead, right? And so this makes our faith completely different than other faiths and shows then Jesus must be different and be considered different than Muhammad or others from other religions. And he still lives. He's not dead. And we believe he's even going to come back and live on earth again, not just in some other spirit world. He's not reincarnated or things like that. So this is a very important part of our theology that makes us different than other faiths and is something we can share with others to increase their curiosity about Christ. So we want to just remember Jesus's resurrection is significant because no other religion has a leader that raised from the dead and is still living. Only Christianity has this, right? So what was Christ's resurrected body like? What, what do we know about his resurrected body? So his resurrection was not just coming back from the dead as occurred with others like Lazarus. Lazarus came back from the dead. He did not have a glorified body. He just had his own body. So when Jesus rose from the dead, his body was made perfect and no longer subject to weakness, aging, or death, but was able to now live eternally. And we see that because he just ascended into heaven. So he had his glorified body already. So Jesus put on the imperishable and he put on immortality. And you see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 53. So Jesus's new body, though, was physical, right? It was not just spirit. It wasn't a ghost. His disciples ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead in Acts 10, 41. He also invited Thomas to touch his hands and his side in John 20, 27. And he told the disciples to touch him because he literally said, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. That's Luke 24, 39. So he's clearly saying, I have a physical body. The glorified body is still a physical body. So this shows there is a considerable degree of continuity between his physical appearance of Jesus before his death and after his resurrection. But think about it. Jesus didn't look exactly the same as he had before he died because he wasn't immediately recognized in the garden after he rose from the dead. Now, scholars think that maybe the difference is, well, now he has a new body that has life. His life had been so, remember we'd say he was a man of sorrows and just the weight of persecution, the weight of holding on people's sin, what they saw before he died, he probably just looked way more vibrant, youthful after he had his glorified body. So he was fully restored to health, but it was a transformed body. So who participated in the resurrection? Was it the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Well, what we see is that actually all three in the Trinity are accredited to being a part of the resurrection. In Romans 8:11, we see that the Holy Spirit played a part. It says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Now, there are multiple texts that show that God the Father was a part of raising Jesus from the dead. In Acts 2.24, it says, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Romans 6.4 says, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live 
a new life. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Galatians 1.1 says, God the Father who raised him from the dead. And Ephesians 1.20, it says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So we see many texts that say God the Father was a part of this. But we also have a text that Jesus declared that he would raise himself from the dead before he even died. We see this in John 10, 18. He said, I have authority to lay it down, meaning his life, and I have authority to take it up again. So we should conclude that the entire Trinity was a part of the resurrection. So what is the doctrinal significance of the resurrection? Why is it important? I'm going to give you four main points of why the resurrection is important. And the first one is Jesus's resurrection affirms the goodness of the material creation that actually he created in the beginning, right? When God created man perfectly, he said it was very good in Genesis 1. And he will also create a new heaven and a new earth where we will live forever. And the earth will be set free from its bondage, according to Romans 8, 21. So there will be physical rivers and trees. There will be fruit in this new earth. And so we are seeing that he wants to make all things new, but what he created was good. In the material, physical, renewed universe, it seems we will need to live as humans with physical bodies, just like we do now, to live in God's renewed physical creation. And so Jesus's physical resurrection body affirms the goodness of God's original creation of man, that we weren't created a spirit like the angels, but we were a creature with a physical body, and that's very good. And so that is going to be maintained through all of eternity. How do you think this can help us love our bodies better and be thankful that we are fearfully and wonderfully made when you think of this? Just till we renew our mind with our glorified bodies and we will completely appreciate who God made us to be, you know, because there will not be a flaw. The second reason that the resurrection is so significant is Jesus's resurrection ensures our regeneration. <coughs> so Jesus's resurrection ensures our regeneration. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, He has caused us to be born again or regenerated to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter is explicitly connecting Jesus's resurrection with our regeneration or new birth. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had a new quality of life, a resurrection life in a human body with a human spirit that was perfectly suited for fellowship and obedience with God forever. So we may not have our glorified bodies yet because of Jesus's resurrection, but we are able with our human body and human spirit to have fellowship and we're able to obey what God wants us to do because of his resurrection. So that is what we can embrace right now. The regeneration is we are now able to obey because we have a regenerated spirit. We do not receive our resurrected bodies when we become Christians. Our bodies remain the same, but they're still subject to what? Weakness, aging, and death. But our spirits are allowed to be changed before this side of heaven, right? We're made alive with new resurrection power. 
when God raised Jesus from the dead, he thought of us as somehow being raised with Christ. And so therefore, he, we deserve all the merits of Christ's resurrection. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, his goal in life was that he might know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. He wanted to understand what is the power of the resurrection. So Paul was connecting the resurrection of Christ with the spiritual power at work within us, which is the Holy Spirit that comes in us, when he tells the Ephesians that he is praying that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So here Paul is saying that the power by which God raised Christ from the dead is the same power at work within us. That is a lot of power. Right now it is spiritual power, even though our bodies are weakening, but we still have power, right? The resurrection power helps us to live the life we were made to live. Let me say that again. The resurrection power helps us to live the life we were made to live. Romans 6, 11 says, because of the resurrection, we consider ourselves dead to sin. We have to consider it because there's still sin in our life, but we consider ourselves dead to sin. Sin no longer has power over us, right? The resurrection gives us power to gain more and more victory over remaining sin in our lives. And Romans 6, 14 says, sin will have no dominion over you. Sin is around us. Temptation is around us. We will still fall, but because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can have more power over sin and become more sanctified because of the resurrection. And the Holy Spirit is also one that's going to help us in our spirit to discern how to now share this gospel with others. Acts 1.8, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. The third reason that the resurrection is important. Jesus's resurrection ensures our right standing before God, or what we call our justification. Jesus's resurrection ensures our justification. In Romans 4.15, Paul says that Jesus was raised for our justification. That's literally what it says. And justification, if you remember, means just as if I've never sinned, that I have a right standing before God, God sees me as not having <coughs> sin, but God sees me as being righteous because of Jesus's resurrection. By raising Christ from the dead, God the Father was in effect saying that he approved of Christ's work of suffering and dying for our sins, that his work was completed and that Christ no longer had any need to remain dead, right? Because his job was done. He did not need to stay dead any longer. There was no penalty left to pay for sin, no more wrath of God to bear, no more guilt or liability to punishment. All had been completely paid for and no guilt remained. So if God raises us up with him, then by virtue of our own union with Christ, God's declaration of approval of Christ is also his declaration of approval of us. Okay, so Jesus was raised from the dead as God's full approval. And that means we are raised with full approval, right? We are seen as righteous. We are seen as justified. Okay, the fourth point is we know that God will raise us up in our own resurrection 
like he did Christ. If he comes back, we won't have to be resurrected, <laughs> right? We'll just be glorified. But if we have died before Christ comes back, we all will be resurrected. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, God raised the Lord and he will also raise us up by his power. And then 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. So when are we resurrected? When Jesus comes back, because it says we will be resurrected to be with Jesus. At that moment, we will receive a new body, just like the ones Jesus now inhabits. We will not have any scars from this life, but Jesus will, right? He will have the scars of the crucifixion to remind us, an eternal reminder of his suffering and death for us. We're going to talk in a few more weeks when we talk about end times, kind of our glorified body. How does that fit in with the millennial time uh, in the future and things like that? But for now, just know that when Christ comes back, if we have already died, we will be raised and our glorified bodies will be given to us in that moment. Next question is, what is the ethical significance of the resurrection? Paul sees that the resurrection has application to our obedience to God to continue steadfast in the Lord's work. Everything that we do to bring people into the kingdom and build them up will have eternal significance because we will all be raised up on the day when Christ returns and lives with him forever. So Paul encourages us, focus on our future heavenly reward as our goal. When we are resurrected, all struggles of life will be over. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised in Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, that's where you get your glorified body, when Christ appears. So I like this because... It's talking about how we are already raised in Christ and how we, we are identifying with the resurrection, even though people that are dead have not been resurrected yet. You see the difference of being raised in Christ now and we're identifying with his resurrection versus one day we actually physically will be resurrected. And in that moment, we will receive that glorified body. So our next question is, what about Jesus's ascension? What's so significant about him ascending? Well, it was Acts 1, 9 through 11 is where we see this in scripture. And it says this, And when he had said these things to the disciples, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. They were angels, not really men. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's why we know Jesus went up into the clouds or heaven and he's going to come back down. The it's going to be the same thing with his return. So he gradually ascended as they were watching and then a cloud, which think of this, a lot of scholars think this was the cloud of God's glory, 
because he's fully glorified going into heaven. How beautiful is that? And it wasn't like it was a foggy day, right? It was God, it was bright. It was amazing. I wonder if you would see crystals of like rainbowish stuff. Who knows how beautiful it was seeing Jesus go into heaven. But he was then taken from their sight. But he didn't die, right? They knew he was still alive. So he ascended 40 days after his resurrection. And, he, and it says also in Luke 24, 50, that he was carried up into heaven. He didn't receive wings. Doesn't say angels were carrying him. It just somehow he was able to start going up into heaven, which means we might be able to float around like that one day as well with our glorified bodies. That's kind of fun, right? So it's important to see, though, he left this earth to go to a specific place. He went to a place, right? He went to heaven. The fact that Jesus had a resurrected body that was subject to spatial limitations. He could only be in one place at one time in this physical body means that Jesus went somewhere when he ascended into heaven. It says in John 14, two through three, in my father's house are many rooms. <laughs> if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now we're going to study what is the new heaven and new earth in a few weeks. But what you want to picture is, is there is an actual heaven and he is preparing places for us in this new Jerusalem, so to speak, that is heaven that will one day come down and become a part of earth. So heaven will one day become a part of earth in the new heaven and the new earth. And that's how he is preparing a place for us. Scripture does not tell us exactly where heaven is, but we know that the new Jerusalem, this heaven, will come down out of heaven from God. That is stated in Revelation 21 too. And it indicates this clearly as a localization. It's, it's a place. Heaven is in a space-time universe. The fact that Jesus ascended into heaven is to show us that heaven does exist as a place and it's physical. All right. So when Jesus arrived to heaven, immediately he received glory, honor, and authority in a way he had not had before his incarnation and becoming man. So he was always God, right? He always existed. He was in heaven beforehand with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But when he ascended, that is when he started being worshipped by the angels. That is when he started to receive glory and honor because of what he did while he was on earth. So he was actually treated differently in heaven after his ascension. Isn't that interesting? Because of what he had done. The angels now worship him by saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. They couldn't worship that before his incarnation or arrival on earth, right? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. They're like, what else can we add? What else can we add, right? Revelation 5.12 is that. He's being worshiped. He is being praised. And what happens is he is then seated at God's right hand. That's considered a position. It does not mean his bottom is stuck on a chair for eternity, okay? It means he's placed in a position right next to God the Father. So the Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would sit at the right hand of God in Psalm 110, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then this is fulfilled in Hebrews 1.3. It says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand 
of the majesty on high. So dramatic indication of the completion of Christ's work, right? He is sitting down because his work is finished. So that's the symbolism of it. But sitting at the right hand of God is also an indication that he received authority over the universe. Paul says in Ephesians 1:20 that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. So he was given authority over the earth when he sat next to the Father. Peter also said that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Paul also quotes Psalm 110.1 and 1 Corinthians 15.25 that says that Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So God the Father empowered Jesus to now have full authority over the earth. Another authority Jesus received was he was the one that poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. On the day of Pentecost, it says in Acts 2.33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Jesus is the one that poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. Because remember he said, I can't send the one who is greater than I until I depart from you, and that meant the Holy Spirit. The fact that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God in heaven does not mean that he is perpetually fixed there or that he's inactive. He is seen as standing at God's right hand in Acts 7.56. That is when Stephen was being martyred. He's the very first martyr. And when Stephen was martyred, Stephen gazed into heaven. And you know what it says? He saw Jesus standing. What I think is so powerful about that is I feel like Jesus gave him a standing ovation of respect as being the very first martyr of the church. He chose to stand to honor Stephen. Isn't that beautiful? And then it also says in Revelation 2.1 that Jesus walks among the seven golden lampstands in heaven. So we know he's not just sitting there. It's the idea of this is his position, but he is walking. We also do know that it, this does not mean he's not omnipresent. His spirit, Jesus' spirit, is still able to be here on this earth. He's not now confined and have less godly attributes just because he has a body. So somehow he's able to be fully God and fully man. So he's fully man still in heaven with a physical body that is walking around, but he's also fully God and fully spirit that can be omnipresent. Confusing, I know, but he is still with us even though he is also in heaven. Christ's ascension has doctrinal significance for our lives. Since we are united with Christ in every aspect of his work of redemption, Christ's ascension into heaven foreshadows our future ascension into heaven with him. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will also be with the Lord. So his ascension gives us assurance that our final home will be with him in heaven. Because of our union with Christ in his ascension, we are able to share now in part in Christ's authority over the universe. Later, we're going to be able to share in it more fully. So we have dominion over demons, right? In Jesus's name, be gone. We can still see God do powerful things through us here on earth because we have been given some authority even now. Ephesians 2.6 says this, 
God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the fact that God made us sit with Christ means that we share in some measure in the authority Christ has, authority to contend against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We can do battle with weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds, according to 2 Corinthians 10.4. Jesus promises in Revelation 2.26, it says this, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when the earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, he also promises in Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is interesting. I'll tell you a little snippet of the millennium. That Revelation 2 says that if we continue to be conquerors with Christ and we keep his works until the end, he will give us authority over nations. Okay. And then it says, but what, what kind of authority will we have? We will rule over them with a rod iron. Do you know what this means? We will be given authority in the millennium, but in the millennium there will still be non-Christians. Non-Christians are going to see us in our glorified bodies because Jesus will have already returned. And we as Christians are going to get to rule over the nations, but with a rod, meaning there will still be people that are rebellious and against Christ, even in the millennium. Have you ever thought about that? The millennium... Though Jesus will be reigning, we'll still have non-believers on the earth. It's very interesting. And talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, theologians have talked about two different things, the states of Jesus or the twofold state of Christ. What do these terms mean, states of Jesus or the twofold state of Christ? This is the teaching that Christ experienced first the state of humiliation and then the state of exaltation. So Jesus had two different states state of humiliation and then the state of exaltation the humiliation of christ this actually included the incarnation because god of the universe had to become a baby right so that's humiliation his suffering his death and his burial the exaltation of christ includes the resurrection ascension into heaven and then sit sitting at the right hand of god and one day to return in power so that's what we call the humiliation of christ and the exaltation of Christ. And you kind of split it into two sections. So in conclusion, I just hope as we study his resurrection that we marvel, not just of what his resurrection means for us, but the power that it has given us to overcome sin, to overcome Satan in this world now, and to one day be able to rule with him. And so I hope it leads us to worship him more. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you again that you chose to raise Jesus from the dead, that his work was finished, that you saw that even as fully man and fully God, what he did, he had to choose to do in obedience, and that now he is fully glorified and worshiped and honored for what he endured here on earth. And I just pray that we would continue to remember that he is not just seated up in heaven doing nothing, but we learned earlier that he is constantly interceding for us. He's constantly praying for us, that that's his biggest role right now in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just die for us, but you are actively interceding with us. And I pray that because of this resurrection, we would share this truth with others, 
that we would share with them how this makes our faith completely different than any other faith. It gives us hope different than any other faith that we know we can live with the God who created us for all of eternity with glorified bodies because one day we will be resurrected with him and join him and live with him forever. And so God, I just pray that this would lead us to worship you more. In your name we pray. Amen.